Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Our episode today is brought to you by Cathode Ray Media. Cathode Ray is a full-service marketing agency that connects government organizations to their communities. Wondering how they can help you? Here are just a few ideas. They use ingenuity and imagination to create awareness of progress and opportunity within your community. They help residents and visitors find local shopping, dining, and service businesses. They make residents and stakeholders aware of challenges that affect them and their community, while encouraging them to get help or get involved. They can also work to help attract new small businesses while helping micro-entrepreneurs learn how this small but mighty woman-owned and operated marketing agency can help your community. They use tried and true methods that will connect your organization to your residents using social, digital, and traditional media. Curious? Visit cathoderay.com, that's K-A-T-H-O-D-E-R-A-Y.com to learn more or ask for a free no-obligation consultation. We thank Cathode Ray for their support of the Econ Dev Show. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today we're here with Aliyah Abbas. She is the Economic Development Officer for the City of Toronto. Aliyah, welcome to the show. Hi. Yes. So I'm the former economic development officer for City of Toronto. So this week was my last week at the city. Um, it has been an interesting experience working with City of Toronto, like the largest municipality right now, and a lot of projects that they have going. And especially being on the business retention expansion uh-huh. side, seeing everything kind of pick up is quite refreshing. But it's also like a lot of learning along the way, especially for me, because I came from the foreign direct investment realm and then going into BRE, it's kind of a change of like focus, but also like gears too, sure. <laughs> where you first you're attracting investments from like the foreign side, looking at US, looking at companies that are interested in the Canadian market. And then now kind of looking at once those companies have resettled into our community and kind of are now the local champions, no longer considered foreign, they become local. So it was interesting to see how that relationship works on first year, the one that was kind of catching up to those companies and asking them, hey, are you interested in coming to our market? Now they're here. They've been like some of them. There's also history a lot of the time in City of Toronto with some of the companies that they had. They've been there for 30, 40 plus years. Um, so they have like presence, they have history in the community, and they bring a lot of culture too, given the fact that they all come, like we're like a melting pot in terms of the opportunities, the demographics, the languages spoken, you know, being 200 plus languages. So it's interesting to see how companies uh see themselves and when they do the introduction when you first go ahead like on the BRE mm-hmm. site visits and you know you introduce yourself they tell you a lot about stuff that maybe you didn't even have you know an idea or like the stuff about your community on the ground and what they're seeing as like you know a business owner 
uh, versus me on being on the government side as an economic developer. And I'm just kind of like, just my job is to promote. Um, I may not live in the city of Toronto. I live in Mississauga. So for me, it's kind of like best of both worlds. Well, I live in Mississauga, but then I work for city of Toronto. Um, and I used to work for city of Toronto, but I feel like there's still lots of opportunities for growth and um, to learn. Um, and especially on for economic development, I feel like it's the one profession where every day is not the same. Right. Um, the projects you get to work on, it's ever ongoing, depending on how creative you are. So it depends on your creativity, too. Absolutely. Wow. What an introduction you gave yourself. That's phenomenal. So <laughs> I guess let's back up. How did you get into economic development or even why did you get into economic development? Yeah. So for me, I think it was like the education path. Mm -hmm. um, I know when I was in high school, I was trying to become an artist. That was something that I, I was keen into, like drawing architectural drawings, too. Wow. Um, then I came across like the passion of my parents were like, you know what, like, Aaliyah, you can look into art being into like, you know, design city development, too, you know. So that's where Sim Cities comes into play, designing cities and, you know, playing with that. So I was like, oh, this is cool. This is something I would want to do. This is something that seems interesting to me. Um, and then I remember like a lot of my family members at gatherings are like, oh, she likes to play Lego. <laughs> That's what she does. She develops cities using Lego. And I'm like, and I think that is a creative way of looking at it too. Um, as a child too, when you're, your first blocks that you're given in like kindergarten class is like, you know, you have building blocks and you're told to like, oh, design. So now I feel like from that sense, in terms of my studies, like looking at city development, um, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. So when I initially started my hunt for universities and colleges, I was looking at, you know, what programs are being offered and what opportunities they have. So that kind of led me into the realm of geography, which is also quite interesting um, because a lot of people are like, oh, you're still figuring out where you are in the world. I'm like, no, that's not that's not the case. Um, I'm actually like trying to understand like why certain businesses tend to be in the communities they are and what attracts people to the community right so that where that's where i feel like gis comes into play a lot of the time through my studies when i did geography so i was kind of looking interested in more of the human side of it not the physical which is like the science mm -hmm. so i was interested in understanding human geography and how do people, why do people choose risky communities? Why do people tend to locate or, you know, be champions of their communities? So what, what creates, creates that passion? So I came across GIS and GIS was like the most interesting part of geography where, you know, looking at geospatial positioning and understanding, you know, why certain coordinates or even certain businesses, why they are on the map versus other ones, right? So I remember like, you know, going down the street, I'm like, okay, there's only two shops here. One is the flower shop and the bakery, but there's so many other businesses once I got there, right, in my community. So I was like, why are they not? It's accessibility too, mm -hmm. cost, and, you know, and also it depends on the people that are doing the surveys and, you know, how do they connect with the business? And that's where I feel like that's where the economic developer, but the planner also gets involved too. So from geography, understanding why businesses tend to locate where they are, I looked at development, you know, why are they located in the most riskiest place? And, you know, is it because of the cost or pricing? What is it? Um, so that's where planning came into place. But in planning, they always try to kind of talk about the real like utopian city, like the best example sure. of a city. So that's where I was like, mm, I've kind of 
I'm like, it's great. I know not every city is perfect. Everyone will say it's perfect because they live there, um, you know, and everyone loves the community that they're a part of. So they would tend like, so that's why I was like, asking the professor, like, um, what happens if my city were to go under a major disaster? Like, what if it, because I have a lot of family in the States. So hurricanes, floods, this is something that I hear frequently. And I would always be on the news watching you know, what's what's happening in Florida, what's happening in Texas and keeping in touch with my family that way. Um, so that kind of piqued my interest where I looked at the planning side of, OK, this is what I need to create an, a great city. Um, and using GIS to understand why people choose or geographically position themselves. And maybe it's their job, their family. Um, maybe it's the cost of living that make, makes it affordable to be in that community. Um, so then I kind of lead it towards disaster emergency management. And that's where um, the disaster side came in where I'm like talking to my family, like, how can I help? Because um, I would always like pick up the phone and, you know, call my like, you know, local counselors, ask like, you know, if I could help out, what could I do? Um, is there any relief being given to some of these communities? Um, and that's where I got involved with like, you know, our emergency management offices in our municipalities too. So I was very proud to know that, you know, our former mayor, like Hazel, she um, had this initiative, like thought process. She was very ahead of her time where we had the train derailment. And from that train derailment, her, the lesson was that, you know, uh, you need to have a disaster emergency management team, person that can actually manage the projects. Um, but then the, her leadership style is that it's all female driven. So that's something very interesting. So I was like, okay, it does. I, I can do this too. If my mayor has done it, this is something that there's a field for it. So from disaster and emergency management, the lessons I learned was business continuity. It, it kind of drawed back to my initial idea of why businesses choose but business continuity in sense of how do businesses tend to remain and why they remain in your community rather than just get up and leave, right? There's an opportunity, but I feel like with smaller, medium sized businesses, they're more tend to stay in your community because they have their family there. They have actual ties, relationship, much stronger than let's say a Walmart or Target if it right. were to come to your community. Um, they have their, their, they're the ones that are, you know, they have employees that live in the community, but they tend to focus on big picture of like, okay, where can I make the quick bucks? And if I can go head over to another place in terms of supply and demand, they would, they would go there in a, in a heartbeat. Um, and we have seen that, you know, with the rollout of the targets in our community where, you know, we still have the red balls, but they're just, we spray painted them. Right. <laughs> I, I, yeah. You should mention that because I don't know if all of our listeners in the United States know what happened with Target yeah. in Canada. They, they all closed. They're all gone. Yeah, they're all gone. And the idea was like more about their sales and marketing strategy where, you know, they decided to open up a bunch of stores across the province, but also Canada in general. Uh, but they didn't understand the market. I think that's where it comes down to. Right. So but you can also see that they're very quick to leave as well. Once they figure out, OK, this is not the place to be. Let's just go. And they have the opportunity, they have the finances and the resources to do it. Um, but if it's a smaller businesses, that's not the case. They're going to be in that community for quite some time. Um, they have, you know, a lot. They're more anchored. Right. Um, even though we call anchor institutions in terms of hospitals, you know, and universities. But I feel like smaller businesses are the anchor of any community. Um, so looking at their business continuity strategy is very key because that kind of gives you key details about what is their long term goal um, and do they even have a backup plan? So if there if you're if a business tells me like, you know, I have never considered business continuity, I have no idea what that term means, that that's a red flag for me because I'm like, if you were to undergo a disaster, you're you're gonna be the first one to close or leave. Um so um we need to understand that distinction of, you know, um 
in terms of the businesses on how do you support them and on the business content and how do you educate them. So within my disaster recovery experience, I had that opportunity, you know, working with City of Brampton, um, they have a designated Department of Disaster Emergency Management, and they focus on business continuity. So they go door to door, uh, talking to the businesses in the community, and that's where the Main Street piece comes into. Um, and that's where I'm going to talk about in terms of what lead me towards my passion, which is now economic development. And, you know, in that time, we were looking at strategies for Brampton in terms of, you know, what disasters are more likely to hit their community or impact their community. So they have trained development because it's very heavy industry logistics Mm -hmm. uh, area community. Then second is like, you know, looking at their food and beverage um, is a good sector of theirs as well. Um, But in their community, a lot of the smaller businesses, they were more aware and knowledgeable about business content and they had more trust in the community. Um, in the government professionals itself, because I've known from being in government for so long, a lot of people are kind of, you know, um, not really guarded, but more protective of what information they share with the government and understanding what role they play in. So a lot of the times um, in disaster situations, they do rely on us, but then they also have their own strategy in place that if I were to, let's say, I ha- if I were to face a flood, this is what I need you to aid to that. So in Brampton, that's what I saw with a lot of the businesses where, you know, when we hit, got hit with the 2013 ice storm and we actually had a strategy in place, I was looking at, you know, the ice storm development uh, with my business continuity staff. And I was that was the first role I was given. So I was kind of understanding disaster recovery in terms of the messaging that we give out. So the crisis side of it, communication, how do you tell the public and educate them in the terminology? And we see that with the pandemic in 2020, where a lot of people were hearing the word pandemic for the first time, you know, um, they're like, what does that mean? Well, what, what, what type of alert is this? What type of emergency this is? Um, so in terms of crisis and disaster emergency management, I looked at business continuity in terms of support businesses and telling them about their exit strategy um, for different types of disasters. So it's not always a disaster that I learned. It's sometimes, you know, you having not enough employees or your employees leaving, or let's say even the business itself, they have a better market somewhere else where they can secure like, you know, staff at a cheaper cost. And that's where we see a lot of the businesses tend to choose, you know, Mexico over, you know, Canada and US, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And then for Canada on the US side, it's like, you know, the workforce, you know, the talent, education is a key piece. So that makes their decision making. So I feel like having those exit strategy, having a business continuity plan, it kind of tells you the story of the business and how actually dedicated the owner is to their uh, to their business, right. how much okay, faith they have sense. in themselves to recover. And then that kind of led me to economic development in the sense when we got hit with the 2013 ice storm, a lot of the recovery was we had to negotiate with economic development staff. So that's where it kind of introduced me to the idea of, oh my goodness, there's these other players that we've never talked to. Like they kind of, we all work in silos, whether it be planning, GIS, uh, disaster emerging professionals and economic developers, but there is that, you know, succinct relationship that we all have where the GIS people are telling you where the businesses are, the planners are telling what land is not feasible for the businesses. And then you have, you know, the third piece, which is the disaster side, looking at the strategy that the business has in place for themselves. And the last piece being the economic developers telling you how all these three tie in onto, you know, how they can expand themselves and grow themselves in the community and stay there. 
Um, and then the last piece that I want to link into is the supply chain piece. Um, so once you understand that businesses are able to recover, they're looking at other opportunities. So they want to partner and create stakeholder relationships. And that's where the supply chain side comes into or procurement, as people say. Um, so how can I keep my business in place and work with a different suppliers to provide my products on a timely, cost effective manner? Okay. Um, so that's why I ended up in this field is through my education and kind of build, creating those building blocks along the way for myself and understanding, you know, where the whole business piece of why a business choose to be in your community, how can you make them stay, and then what type of support and resources they need. So that's how I got in touch. Wow, that is quite the story. So I guess now that you're the former economic development officer, you obviously you don't have to say what you're going to do next immediately, but where would you like to be in 10 years? You know, what projects have you worked on that you want to go back to and say, you know what, this is something that I really want to, you know, work towards in the future? Yeah. So one thing I've learned, like, you know, even with City of Toronto, but just in business, like working economic bomb in general, is that we're trying to keep protection of, let's say, the employment lands that we have. So protecting those. So that's something that I've seen a lot of conversation in terms of when even a business is first considering Canada or even Ontario, Toronto region, they're just saying, what land is available? What's what's available to me? Where can I locate? And then if they choose to locate, let's say in the city of Toronto, the one th crucial piece is like the employment land. So this is a concept that, you know, I've seen in the city of Toronto, the term being used around, which is looking at uh, employment lands in terms of businesses. So it's a land that's designated specifically for business development, business growth. Sure. So, and but yeah, before we dive into that, yeah. let's just clearly define business land because in the United States, that's not a term that we use at all. So I looked it up mm -hmm. so that I would have some familiarity with the idea. And I think <laughs> that in the United States, we have local zoning. And so a city will say in this area, it is residential. And in this area, it is commercial. And in this area, it is industrial. Employment lands mm -hmm. are kind of like that, except in, in some places you can sort of, in each of the zones, you can build the lower thing in each of those zones. So for example, you could potentially build in some places, you could build housing in a commercial zone because it's sort of lesser yes. and you could build commercial in an industrial zone because it's lesser. In Canada, can you do that? Can you say, you know what? I want to build a multifamily residential right here in the middle of this employment zone. Yes. So that is the thing that we have been looking at. And that's through the conversion okay. a request that gets put forward. So a lot of the like majority of the times we have seen that, you know, there is developers that are considering to locate in these areas and repurpose them. And sometimes it's usually like some of the, um, let's say, vacant properties where they're like, oh, we can look into this. And the fact that here in province of Ontario, we actually have had, you know, this decision of, you know, looking at affordable housing. Um, this has kind of created that issue where you've seen a lot of developers are trying to kind of go into these employment areas, employment lands, and considering and putting favorable applications and, you know, saying that we're going to do mixed use development. Right. So there's going to be the businesses on the lower ground, but then there's going to be high rise. Gotcha. Right. But when it comes to attraction side, we're as economic developers, our role is to kind of be the support of a businesses, you know, and I, I think it's before the chicken and the egg conversations, like, do you build the houses and then people will come? <laughs> or do you get the, you know, the like large 5,000 employee, you know, uh, company into your community and that will bring the people to your community. And that's a whole right? totally different way to think about it than what we do in the United States. Yeah. For the most part in the United States, it is, we want to separate 
the housing from the industrial because we want the people in the housing to not have to look at the smokestacks and the truck traffic and all of that. But this in Canada, as I understand it, it is more about we need to develop these employment lands so that we can have places for the business to be, so that we can have economic development, so we can have a tax base, so we can have all that. Like you said, the chicken and the egg. Do we want the houses first or the businesses first? Mm-hmm. So has Canada chosen historically to sort of be, we'll have the businesses first and then the housing will go somewhere else? Or was it housing first and then we have to find a place to put the business? I think it's more dependent on the neighborhoods mm-hmm. within uh, the community itself too. So like we have seen that like, you know, there's these large uh, main streets that we have too, right? Emory Village being one. Um, so they have industrial. So you see the industrial park there. You see a lot of, in, uh, you know, large manufacturing companies there too. But then you also see the smaller businesses and you see housing. So that I think we're trying to look at a way to kind of harmonize or make a harmonious way of, you know, for people to live in the community, but also live close to home. Because we're trying to make the 50 minute walkable city idea come to fruition, right? Um, But also the access of transportation while uh, reducing the amount of cars and, you know, our own carbon footprint as well. So I think like in historically, we've seen it kind of develop, like depending on if it's the companies, then you tend to see all companies flock in that one area and then this, the rest of the cities developed around it. One case I could say for city of Mississauga is that we saw with our mall, we had our mall square one, that's like this dead center. And then around it, we saw housing being developed, but now we're looking at business development as well. Like, you know, creating that, but we also have designated zones where, or business parks where these companies tend to locate. Um, but now I think it's the conversation of how do you make it a walkable community close proximity community where you don't rely on the car heavily. Um, So I think we're trying to work around, you know, how do we talk to businesses in the sense that you may need, uh, you you may see affordable housing complex being built right next door. Um, But there is these conversations that with businesses where it's not as appealing because tend to, that's where you get to tend to get noise complaints. Mm -hmm. You also get, you know, complaints from, you know, businesses where there's this, the surveillance being an issue, security, some of the some of the products that are being developed. And if you were to have, let's say, a 21 story condo, people can peep into your business and see what's being developed. Right. right? Um, so that that's one issue that we're seeing in terms of this employment zones and how you protect them. Um, how do you advocate that these are important places and this is a way for us to even create jobs? Um, I don't think anyone would ideally want to be in a community where it's just all condos or all just, you know, um, just housing because you have to meet the mandate of affordable housing. I feel like there is this need to kind of address the issues of what are the demands of businesses and address it first, because that's going to create jobs. That's going to create some type of community development. And maybe you'll be reputable if you get, if you land a very large company in your community or a major popular company. And we saw that with the Amazon. Mm -hmm. All right. So city of Toronto, we were able to get onto the list of the top 20 cities that were being considered, but you know, there's a lot of things in terms of land availability. What's available um, there in the community that you know when we're talking talk to businesses and bring them over. So, in a sense, you've taken both your BR and E experience and your attraction experience in the FDI world, and you sort of combine them. You're an advocate for business, however that business might play out or look. You want to make sure there's space for that business if they want to locate there. You want to make sure that once they're there, that things don't change radically around them that would impact their business, new new residential developments or 
high rises around them. I just see that you are sort of there, not just the cheerleader for business, but you're almost their advocate. Like you want to go to bat for them. Yeah, because I feel like the for a lot of business, even like with my own family, like, you know, having a family owned business is very crucial. Um, and, you know, seeing these challenges, you know, when you want when you plan to expand and there's no space available um, right. and they're telling you, no, we may have to go to the municipality over because they have the land that you're looking for at the price you're looking at. Right. Or going to another neighborhood. And I don't think it's it is let's say a benefit, you know, maybe expanding to another community, they, they create jobs there as well. But I feel like you need to protect businesses in terms of, you know, figuring out their needs and keeping them here, right? Because I feel like they, some of them have voices, some of them don't. And I feel for the main street, smaller businesses, they don't have the advocates that they require, or let's say the budget or finance mm-hmm. or resources to do it. So going back to my conversation of, you know, the Walmart or the Target leaving example, um, you know, it's very hard to, you know, fulfill that space. Like, you know, how do how do you recover from that if they were to leave? And the loss of jobs is also impactful, too. And the trust for the public, too, where it's like, oh, the government made this decision of bringing in, you know, um, allowing these this business to come in in our community, promises jobs, and then they just get up and leave. Um, so how do we look into that? So I felt like, you know, as an advocate for businesses, I think you need to understand their needs, their strategy, what is their goal, and kind of creating a space, a safe space for them to kind of, you know, expand and grow and be in your community. And what I see in small, medium-sized main streets, the issue is that, yeah, you have that mixed condo development in the downtown core where you see, you know, small businesses and you see these larger strips or main street uh, improvement districts, as you see in the States, Um uh, or business improvement districts, as you see in the states. Sorry, it's BIAs here, bids in the states. Um, but you know what I see is that you know you have these strips of let's say eighty-three businesses. Um, if they were to leave or close down because you have not provided the support, it's very hard to find space for eighty-three businesses to kind right. of look into that. You can gut it, but I think that's not one way. You know, and I think if you were to bring in a Target or Amazon into that space. Um, it's also going to kill the main street businesses that are next door in the neighboring community. Um, because of, as we see with Amazon, it's like, you know, uh, they're able to do it at a quicker, <laughs> cheaper, and they have the staff to do it. So their ideas are technically, let's say, um, on the smaller entrepreneurial business side of things and how they can quickly develop it. And I feel like the main street businesses are very crucial for community development. And I think that's where businesses, I'm a strong advocate, where I'm trying to look in. How do we protect them and how do we avoid these converse, these difficult conversations technically? Um, and we saw that during the pandemic where we saw a lot of the main street businesses kind of slow down. Um, so we're trying to look at, you know, what is what opportunities are available for that, them? So I feel yeah. like protecting and creating safe spaces for businesses is very crucial. That's interesting. So that brings up the question, in your opinion, why are those small businesses so important? Why don't we just let the dollar flow to the most efficient supplier of whatever, you know, why don't we just all, why don't we have, why don't we want just the Amazonification of all the businesses and we just order it on our phones. It just shows up at our house. Dinner is delivered. You know, like, why do we want those small businesses? What do they bring to the city? I think they bring in like sense of community um, and creativity. Mm -hmm. Number one, Um, you need to be creative and the things you provide and i feel like with smaller businesses they have put a lot of their you know money 
a hard-earned money. There are a lot of their ideas um, are in it and creativity too. So I feel like with Main Street businesses, in terms of supplier side, I see there's an opportunity where you know these smaller businesses they all have like ties to other countries or cultures too. So they're not just like local businesses. They actually maybe some of the businesses tend to go out. The entrepreneur goes to these other communities and bring back some of the products that, you know, we don't have available here. So, you know, I think with Main Street businesses, we've been very fortunate in terms of culture and creativity where we see directly direct impact of it in city of Toronto with our neighborhood development. We have Chinatown, we have Little Jamaica, we have, you know, Little Italy, Little Greek Town. And this is because of our creativity of our entrepreneurs and smaller businesses in those communities and creating that diverse neighborhood where you're able to attract tourists to that community as well now, right? If you were just have, I don't think anyone says, I'm going to Amazon. That's the reason why I'm going to that right. city. You're going there for the culture and creativity, um, for the entrepreneurial like ecosystem that's created and that's unique to every municipal, uh, let's say municipality or community. I've seen that in the states as well. Like not every main street is the same as the other one because they all have their own events. They have their own set of you know ideologies or goals for that community. Um, so I feel like they bring that sense of community and they're people that live in your community too. So I think they have more closer and stronger ties. So they're able to be stronger advocates and champions for your community. That's where I see main street businesses. Makes sense to me. That's wow. (laughs) You are really on top of all this. So where do you see economic development and not just your role, but as a whole, where do you see it going and what do you see it becoming in the future? Yeah. So I feel like, you know, right now with, um, for economic development in terms of trends. I think we are, we're advocates of trends and following them too, because that's our job. We have to keep up to date at what's happening right. and who's who in the economic development world. So I feel like, you know, with this whole push towards sustainability, uh, you know, greener economy is something that we're, I think a trend that's going to be ongoing and something that we, I would have to advocate because of the change in climate. And we've seen that with, you know, the disasters and, you know, how frequently they occur now. But the thing is, it's not like the the damage um, in terms of infrastructure. I think it's more damaging the infrastructure in the community in terms of the businesses that lose out, right? It's not the death toll that rises now. We're trying to seeing that it's the damage of the infrastructure from the disasters. So I think now our step as economic developers is to advocate, you know, sustainable growth, um, looking at how to protect and make our businesses more resilient to that. And then how to advocate to kind of look at, you know, infrastructure, looking at what resources and incentives we have available to provide to the businesses to kind of make them feel comfortable and safe in the community that they live in. And I feel like with, you know, the constant urbanization, we're seeing that a lot of the, you know, people kind of looking in the metropolitan, they're kind of spreading out into the rural communities that are no longer going to be rural once they have, you know, the population, you know, growth come to their community because of cost of affordability. Um, So I think this is something that I it'd be a future trend in terms of sustainable, greener. um, And how do you look at, um, let's say the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And I think every municipality will be focusing on a certain SDG goal based on their sectors, based on you know what's available to them and what their the public wants. And I think this is something that will be very 
you know, trending in terms of mayors advocating that, you know, we're the more greener economy, <laughs> we're more sustainable, um, you know, we're more resilient to disasters. And I think that's going to be a, a new and upcoming trend. Um, I don't think it's new. I think it's always been there. Um, I think, you know, co- communities that face disasters on a regular are more, you know, prone to this and they understand the need to make, become more resilient. Um, so I think it would be the other communities catching up to them. You know, let's say, you know, if you were to look at Louisiana being one, you know, with the ones that are prone to like Lynn Haven, Florida, they've experienced, they know what they, what they've gone through. So they're able to pick up very quickly and understand what works and what doesn't work. Um, and we saw that with the pandemic with which countries or even like which communities were able to adjust quicker was because what they knew about their businesses and their community. So I think our top trend is understanding our businesses and who are the active players in kind of pushing towards climate change and looking at sustainable development. Wow. Uh, you gave me all kinds of good stuff that I wrote down that I'm going to have to ask you about. But you you said something that I think is just really great, and it just underlines your perspective on the whole economic development field. And that's keeping businesses comfortable and safe. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that's how we think about it. Not just economic developers, but the general public. They don't think about keeping the businesses comfortable and safe, keeping the businesses happy. They think that keeping the businesses happy means keeping the money flowing, keeping their cash registers full. But really, they want the same thing that the residents want, which is to be safe from all of these different things that you mentioned and to be comfortable, be able to do what they do and, you know, provide the services that they do and live. And at the end of the day, they need someone like you out there, not just promoting them, not just, you know, pushing out the flyers about their deals and their sales and their whatnot, but really being their advocate on their behalf and saying, you know what, if we do this, it is going to impact our business community. It's going to impact our downtown business community. And, and thinking through all of those, all of the choices that the community makes and how it will impact the businesses. I think that's phenomenal. And I think like at the end of the day, when it comes to businesses and, you know, making them feel comfortable and safe, what I mean by is like, you know, the comfort of understanding that they have someone that understands their value, understands what their agenda is, what their goal is. But at the end of the day, I think a business is a family. Right. Um, it's owned by someone that has a family to, um, and mouths to feed and f- to bring food on the table. And the fact that they're employing people from your community, I think there's more a ripple effect if that community were to, if that business were to close and you're not able to make those decisions. Or let's say if they were to relocate to another community, that changes a lot of people's lives in terms of how they're going to transform you know, transition from this new role or this new location that they're working to, but also kind of like thinking back of, do they end up living in your community? And that's what we saw with the remote right. work um, or a lot of them, they're like, oh, my business, I don't really need to be physically in that space no more in that community. I can, you know, tend to live in a much cheaper, affordable community now with my family. So you'll see that transition that once a business is in your community and they have that sense of, let's say, safety or protection in terms of being resilient, where the government people are providing them the support they need, they tend to stay there. And then that's the thing, the ripple effect is that you'll see other communities or other families within your community come to your community because they're like, I want to be closer in proximity to the business that I'm working for. Um, so there is that, you know, cycle of that's where I'm going back to the chicken egg. I don't know if you build the housing first, or do you bring the business? And I'm a strong advocate is that the business is the one that 
kind of brings that attraction and appeal to your community in terms of workforce and talent. Well, I mean, if you just think about it on a historical basis, people moved where they could earn a living and feed their families, probably feed their families is probably the first yes. thing. So they would move someplace so they'd have land so they could grow the crops so they could feed their families, or they would move someplace where they could have a job and they could buy the food and feed their families. So at the end of the day, the business is first. It's only now in our modern world when we think, you know, hey, let's move. Let, we found this great house and it's in the middle of this neighborhood that's way, way over there. And we have to, you know, commute two hours to get there, to go back and forth to work. No, it's always about the business. It's always about the proximity of that workplace and where that business is. So excellent. Interesting. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you and pick your brain and maybe hire you, what is the best way for them to get into contact with you? Yeah, so it would definitely be my LinkedIn. I'm very active on there. Yes, you are. Um, I just, yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, being connected through LinkedIn, um, my email um, being one, and then another one is like, you know, through my website, which is something that I focused on during the pandemic, which was Alia Consulting. So it's the consulting work that I've done. And I think through my consulting work, I was able to work with such amazing communities um, to understand everyone's strategy. And I think that's what put my, you know, economic development hat where I'm like, where can I be resourceful? And that kind of led to me to being a mentor and, you know, mentoring uh, young professionals, emerging professionals. Um, and just, I feel like at every point of my life, you'll need some type of mentor or mentoring ship and coaching. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the best way to contact me would be through my website, which is Alia Consulting. And it's consultingwithalia.com. So it's a call to action that, you know, consult with me or work with me to understand, you know, or pick my brain at this point. Um, so you may consult to pick my well, brain. Um, I don't know. But I think that's one way to stay in touch with me. Um, and then obviously, you know, sending Facebook invites or Instagram is another way. Um, it's the more, I think, millennial way of staying in touch with everyone. Um, and I think that's one way, but also through you as well, through this podcast, by listening to Abs it. <laughs> Excellent. Yes, absolutely. Well, this has been great. I have learned so much from you and this is, I can, I'm sure this could be a much longer conversation. So I'm going to have to have you back and we're going to have to sort of continue this and dive into all these things that I wrote down that I want to talk about later. But I just really appreciate you coming on today. I know we've had a lot of scheduling issues and I'm just glad we were finally able to make yeah. it work. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to speak. Um, I think I talked to you off, but... <laughs> you did, but I, I um, think it, so I'm hopeful that our listeners will get a whole new perspective on this because you come to this with a very different perspective. And I don't know if it's because you're Canadian or if it's just your unique perspective on this. Because like I said, I'm not sure I've heard it spelled out in this way. <laughs> yeah, no, I think like, um, it's been more of the experience. And I do see that, that relationship between Canada, US and how we think um, in terms of that, but also from that experience with Lane in Florida, where I was shocked to see mm -hmm. a lot of the businesses right. stayed because there were the small, medium, main street businesses. And then you don't tend to see like the larger firms, because you would expect them to have, you know, the budget to, you know, stay or even actually have a plan. So that's something that kind of spin my wheels. I'm like, wow, we actually advocate a lot for the larger businesses versus the smaller ones. And it's the small ones that stay. <laughs> That's so interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. I look forward to having you on again. And again, thank you so much. Yes. Thank you so much.
listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 